I want to invite you to take your Bibles and go ahead and open them up to James chapter 1. I am so thankful that you are here and that I am here today. Uh, last week when uh, I gave the message, I was pretty anxious and excited about getting out of here and going away for our little getaway. And so uh, some of you know, some of you don't, so I'll just kind of fill you in. Uh, this week really didn't turn out the way that I had anticipated that it would go. Um, so we get in, in the car, we load up, we head out to Houston uh, shortly after church last week, and we get there. And so Sunday night, I spent most of my time disconnected from the family and the conversation because I'm on my computer. I want to do as much sermon prep as I can before we leave for our vacation. And so I'm working on the sermon for today. And then Monday morning, we get up to go on our trip, and so we had a six-hour drive ahead of us to get down to South Padre Island, and so I'm telling you, not even 20, 25 minutes into that drive, and we were in a car accident on the tollway in Houston. And so uh, we're, cars, long story, cut in front of us, slam on their brakes, we slam on ours, and uh, are stopped by means of our brakes and the means of their back bumper and that brought our car to a complete stop so we all three the three cars were involved we pulled off into the left shoulder of the tollway which isn't really a very safe experience and feeling and cars are just zooming by and the first car looked at her bumper she's like I'm good and she just drove off the lady that was in front of us she goes oh I'm good you're good we don't need to stop we can just go and I'm like no I'm not good uh, your, your, your car is not good either you should come back and look at everything and so we go back and we look and I'm getting this sense that I think this lady's about to take off and so I, 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 I go to the car and say, hey, y'all take a picture, get the license plate before she drives off. And sure enough, she just jumped in her car and she just took off. And so now I'm there, the only car on the side of the tollway, waiting for the police officer to arrive. And they get there and uh, I'm already starting to get really worked up and a bit emotional. And all I can keep on thinking is, man, I've ruined it for my family. Uh, my family sacrifices so much for me just in respect for what I do. And they're always so generous to release me and to let me go and to do everything. I just wanted to do something special for them before the kids go back to, to school. And I kept on thinking, I've ruined it. We didn't even make it 20 minutes. I don't even know what's going to happen. I'm starting to get worked up. The officer gets there. He talks to me for a little bit. He's like, well, let's just get you off the tollway. So they hook us up to a police wrecker, and so the good news in all of this is Kanan really loved riding in the police wrecker <laughs> with, without a car seat. I said, like, what about the car seat? And he's like, no, it's okay. I was like, really, you're not going to give me a ticket? And he's like, no, you're, you're fine. So they, we got it off, and got off the tollway, got into a parking lot there, and they pulled us into a Whataburger parking lot, and Kanan was like, Whataburger, I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> He loves cheeseburgers. And so we're there, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind. I've already called insurance to start that process. The police officer's filling out his report. Casey has called her dad to come and pick them up. And I'm just feeling guilty. I was like, what am I, how, it's all my fault. What can I do? And I'm just, I, I'm just unnecessarily worked up over it all. But I don't see that at that moment. 
And so they get to the point, the officer's, hey, like, gives me a piece of paper. And he's like, hey, just write down where everybody, the, the full names of everybody in the car, where they were seated, and their date of birth. I was like, okay, I got this. And so I write down everybody's name. I write down my birth date. I write down Casey's birth date. And then I just froze. I'm looking at the piece of paper. I can't think of a single date. I can't think of a single year. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how old are my kids? And so I have to go to Casey. I was like, help me. She was like, what? I go, I, can't, I need birth dates. And so she rattles them off quickly, and I write them down. And Gramps shows up to a rescue. We load everything up into his car, or they do, and I... And then they take off, and it's not a, a few minutes later that my wife sends me this message. I'll share it with you. She says, I know that you're stressed and upset. We're all good. No one is hurt. We have help. And then she has to use my sermon, and she says, his multicolored grace for the multicolored trials. And it was at that moment, I was like, okay, I can breathe. I can breathe a little bit and I uh, can begin to talk to the, the record driver and the police officer. And I told him I was a pastor and my wife just sent me a message and this is what she said. And they're like, multi, what? And so I got to give him a little mini sermon right there, which was cool. Uh, he finished out his report and he told me how I can get it. And I said, is there a citation? He's like, well, I'm not giving you a citation. And uh, so then I went, we dropped off the car to the auto shop and made arrangements for a rental car, so I get the rental car. Um, you know, my wife's asking me, hey, is insurance covering the rental car? I'm not answering her. I'm like, hey, I, don't worry about it. We're going on a vacation no matter what. And so finally we get to go on our vacation, and we get there a little bit later, but we got to experience time with the family. And that was the most beautiful thing. Uh, to this day, my car is still in a car shop. I don't really know the full extent of the damages. I'm still waiting for insurance to make their determination on if they're going to total it out or if we're out or they're going to repair. They tell me that tomorrow I'll know if I'm out my deductible or if I'm out of vehicle. But you know what? Today I stand before you and I'm all good. I'm at peace. I'm at peace because of the prep work that I had to do before our trip, and it's a message that I want to share with you today. Like, we're going through this journey together, and like I said to you, yes, or last week, that my goal and my desire is when we go through the book of James is that this book, this study, that it would gloriously ruin us for the better. And that we will not, no longer look at it the way we used to, but we'll look at it with the proper perspective and rightly apply the truths to our lives. And after all, that's wisdom. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. So, with your Bibles open to James chapter 1, let's get into this next section, if we could, this morning. I'll just start from the beginning. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And then we have this section on testing of your faith. And the testing of our faith occurs in two ways, through trials and through temptation. Last week we talked about trials. Today we'll talk about trials. Next week we'll talk about temptations. They're distinctly unique. Trials come from God. Temptations come from Satan. Trials are meant to build us up. Temptations are meant to tear us down. And so verse number two, what we talked about last week, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so then, when we're going through these God-ordained trials, the question that we ought to come up with would be, what do we need to be praying about? Uh, How do we need to pray, or what can we expect through our prayers? And that's what gets us into this next section. And so verse number 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And then verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to not only receive truth into our lives, but to rightly apply those truths in how we live and what we do. So Father, I pray that you'll speak through me today. And that each and every one of us who would receive the encouragement and the word that we need to so that we can make the commitment that we ought to so that we can glorify you in and through all that we do. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We say that someone has, has said that knowledge is the ability to take something apart, whereas wisdom is the ability to put things back together. Um, put it this way, wisdom goes beyond just knowing facts wisdom is the ability to rightly apply facts to to live out truths in the right way let me give you a couple of distinct characteristics of wisdom if i could first of all wisdom is practical this wisdom that we're talking about is a tool by which trials are overcome in our lives See, an intelligent person may have profound ideas, but the wise person is the one that puts those profound ideas into action. See, an intelligent person could give you a multitude of reasons why your check engine light is on in your car, but a wise person takes the most likely reason and takes action to correct the problem that the light is giving an indication exists. So, so wisdom is practical, and then the second truth is that wisdom is divine. See, God's wisdom goes beyond common sense. Think about it. Common sense doesn't choose joy in the midst of a trial. Common sense doesn't choose joy as you're stranded on the side of a tollway trying to get to vacation. So, 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 so wisdom is in opposition a lot of times to common sense. Listen to what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 23 he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, 
and the wisdom of God. Now that last phrase, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So asking for wisdom is the equivalent to asking to be just like Jesus, the wisdom of God. So a question that we ought to consider is that why we don't need to ask for, why is it that we don't need to ask for strength? Why is it that we don't ask for grace? Why is it that we don't ask for the trials to be removed? Why is it in the midst of our, of our trial, why is it that we're called to ask for wisdom? And here's the reason. Because I think it's connected to the message from last week. See, we need wisdom so we won't waste the opportunity that God is giving us to develop our character. So we ask for wisdom so we don't waste that God-ordained opportunity in our life. See, wisdom helps us to understand how the trial that we're in can be used both for our good and for the glory of God. Think of it this way. In relation to the wisdom of God, our wisdom tends to grow, grow through uh, three different oh, categories. Our wisdom tends to grow through knowledge, it grows through perspective, and it grows through experience. So our problem is that we are limited in knowledge, limited in perspective, and limited in experience. Therefore, we lack the wisdom that we need. So when we go through a, tr a trial, a difficult season, or a difficult moment in life, then it's easy for us to begin to see how we don't know everything that's happening or why it's happening. That's limited knowledge. When we're going through that trial, we, we can fail uh, to see the situation through every point of view. We, we typically only focus on one point of view, and that's because we have a limited perspective. And then when we're in that trial, we often lack the skills or the understanding of knowing what to do or how to do it. And that's because we're limited in experience. But God, oh, on the other hand, God possesses all knowledge. God, He has a complete and eternal perspective. Our Heavenly Father, in and through Jesus Christ, has experienced every kind of trial and has prevailed therefore we can have confidence because if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him like like verse number five is one of the most encouraging promises in all of scripture God longs to give wisdom. He desires to pour out wisdom into our life. And not just to give us a little bit of wisdom, but to give it to us generously, liberally, abundantly. And when He pours it out, He pours it out without discrimination, without hesitation, without question. He, he pours it out into our lives without attaching with it a guilt trip because we didn't know what to do or how to do it in the first place. I mean, this is the God of the universe who's the possessor of all knowledge. He's the one that has the eternal perspective. Uh, the God of the uni universe that has the perfect experience. And it's He that turns to us and says, I got you. 
I'm here to help you. Now, I might not remove the obstacle in your life right away, but I can help you understand what's happening. I, I can walk with you through the, through the journey. I can give you the, the proper perspective that you need to have on your circumstance. Because may we always remember what my wife very graciously reminded me of. For every multicolored trial that you face, there's a matching multicolored measure of God's grace available to you. And so it's in those seasons that we turn to Him and we, and we ask Him, God, what is it? Give me the wisdom. Help me to rightly apply the truth to this circumstance that I'm in so that you can be glorified in and through it all. So, so James not only tells us what to ask for, and that's wisdom, but he also tells us how to ask for it. He says that we're to ask for it in faith. After all, one of the greatest enemies to answered prayers is unbelief, having a lack of faith. So verse number 6 begins, but let him ask in faith uh, with no doubting. So we're to ask in faith. We're not to be afraid to ask. God is anxious to answer us, and He never scolds us for asking Him. The idea is that, that God is not even going to question us for lacking wisdom and not knowing what to do or how to do it. He's just going to be gracious that we're turning to Him and we're asking in faith so that He can pour out His wisdom into our life and into our situation. Because God loves us. We who belong to Him through faith in Jesus, we are His sons and His daughters. He's our Heavenly Father who wants to meet our needs. But here's a critical point. Please, don't miss this. We have a responsibility to bear. We must do something. Whether or not God hears us, whether or not He pours out that wisdom into our lives, depends on us doing this one thing. Now if we do it, God will hear us, and God will grant us, and God will pour out wisdom in our lives. But if we don't do it, He will not hear us, nor will He give us the wisdom that we need. So, so what is the one thing that we must do? We must believe, ask, without doubting. We must believe. And when we pray, we cry out to God, we ask Him for the wisdom that we need and the circumstance that we face. We pray believing. We can't pray and then begin to wonder, is God really out there? You can't pray and begin to wonder, does God really care about this? You can't pray and then begin to wonder, is He even going to answer my request? Such doubting cannot be heard by God. God does not answer the prayer of a doubting person. Because if he did, then he would be rewarding doubt. He would be rewarding those that don't believe and fully trust in him. So God does not answer the prayer of the one that wavers in their faith. Therefore, we must believe when we ask. We must believe that God is. That God exists. That God does love us and care for us. And that He will hear us and answer us when we turn to Him in our time of need. That's why it says, but let Him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Jesus, I'm sorry, James compares the doubting believer to the waves of the sea. Up one moment, down the next. I mean, this is the experience of a double-minded person. A double-minded person, often faith will tell them yes, but then unbelief will tell them no. Doubt creeps in and says yes one moment, and then no the very next. And so if we want to... Uh, quit being tossed about like the waves of the sea, then we must rely upon God and we must trust that He will show us what is best for us and that it will help us in our time of need. Ultimately, we need to trust and value character development over comfort and ease. And a lot of times, that's exactly what those trials are trying to produce in our lives is to develop and strengthen the character of who we are. And so we should embrace that. That's why we're told to consider it joy. We don't get all excited because we got a smashed in car or we've been diagnosed with some form of cancer. It's not in and of that that we take joy in. We take joy in knowing that through this trial or through this circumstance, God is going to be working in us to strengthen us and to develop us into the image and to the likeness of His Son. And that's why we consider it a joy. Then, then, then James gives us an interesting illustration uh, beginning of verse number 9. Look what it says. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It, its flowers fall. Its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So, so in the midst of all of this talk about trials and, and circumstances in life, James begins to talk about riches and poverty. And when I look at that, I, the question I come up with is why? Why does he begin to talk about riches and poverty in the midst of trying to address trials and then temptation is what we'll look at next week. What, what's he trying to say? And I think that James is trying to give us a reminder about how trials have a remarkable leveling effect in life. For instance, if you're poor, then you should boast that your circumstances are leading you to trust further in God. And so although you may lack physical resources, you can boast because of your rich status as a child of the King. Now if you're wealthy, be careful. Because trials will remind you that your wealth can't solve all your problems. All the stuff that you fill your life with cannot and will not cover the pain. In the end, your wealth and resources will wither away. And you'll have nothing left. So will your life be built upon the physical things that will wither away? Or will they be built upon the spiritual things that only God can provide and strengthen. Then James beautifully closes this section with a beatitude. Look at verse number 12. 
It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now to be clear, James is not saying that you are saved by your trials. What he's saying is those that endure trials will be rewarded. So how are we rewarded? What's the reward that we can expect to receive through our faithfulness of enduring the trials that we have to go through? Well, there's two. And the first one we already talked about, and we talked about that one last week. The first way that we're rewarded is through the growth in our character. So, so we're growing in our Christ-like maturity. That's why it says in verse number 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the first way that we're, re- we're rewarded is through growth in our Christian character. The second way that we're rewarded is by being granted the crown of life. And that's a beautiful gift. At the end of all of our trials, God meets us with life. Not just life, but eternal life. So, so count it all joy, my brothers, when, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because those trials will remind us of the reward that's to come. So, so hang in there. Like don't, like, don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated. Don't walk away from the church. Don't try to walk away from your faith, although you can't. Either That's a different message, a different day. Hang in there. Allow that trial to be the opportunity that God is trying to bring into your life to strengthen and to develop you. You might not understand why you have to go through it. You might not ever understand why you have to go through it. But our understanding isn't necessary in order for God to do the work that's, re- that's needed in our lives. So, so consider it joy. Consider an opportunity for God to work to, to develop and to strengthen who you are for your good and for his glory. Well, think about it this way. First comes the cross, then comes the crown. First you have to go through the suffering, but there's glory that awaits. And a lot of times people have a tendency to think that James and Paul are completely opposite in their point of view about, about faith and, and works and, and, and what we're supposed to do and, and what they produce in, in our lives. And I want to kind of encourage you to, to, to consider that uh, Paul and, and James are very similar in what they teach, especially when you understand from the very beginning that James is a letter written to believers. So it's not talking about how you earn your salvation. He's talking about now that you believe, now that you belong to him, then this is what your life is supposed to be looking like. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you can expect. And so what Paul has to say, and it kind of in line with what James is saying right now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Then in verse 17, he says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen 
are eternal. So don't give up. Don't lose hope. Whether it's the trial that you're in right now or the one that you're going to face either later today, next month, next year, whenever it comes, consider it pure joy knowing that this God-ordained trial is an opportunity for Him to continue the work that He started in us the moment we put our faith and trust in His Son. Don't waste the opportunities that trials present in our lives. Now we spent two weeks talking about trials. Next week, we're going to look at temptations and, and what they're about and what, how we're supposed to respond. But both of these issues, trials, and temptations go to test our faith. And, and ultimately, they, they reveal who we are and what we believe. And, and my desire for each and every one of us is that we would warmly receive trials in our life as an opportunity for us to strengthen ourselves for the glory of God in that we would be keenly aware of the temptation that the adversary seeks to destroy us with so that we can have rightly distinguish the difference between a trial and temptation and then we can rightly respond when either one of them are present in our lives. With that being said, let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to love you more than we love anyone or anything else. God, help us to, to receive uh, the sanctification work that you desire to bring about in our lives. So when the trials come, help us to turn to you, asking for wisdom so that we can rightly apply the truth to the circumstance that we're in. And God, may we ask in faith so that we can receive what you've promised to give. And even right here today, there are people that are struggling their, their hearts are heavy. They feel overwhelmed. They don't know what to do or how to do it. In this moment today, Father, I pray that each and every person that has that feeling, I pray that they would turn to you and ask in faith for your wisdom to, to be given to them in their circumstance. God, help this church to be a loving church, to be an encouraging church, to be a church that doesn't just say, I'll pray for you, but will also say, I'll walk with you on this journey that you're in. So God, help each and every one of us to do what's right for our good and for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Church, let's